The Trump administration's rescinding the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. DACA lets undocumented immigrants who were brought into the U.S. as children remain in the country under certain restrictions. Now time is running out for Congress to decide what to do legislatively. What's next for this group of so-called dreamers has become a polarizing issue for many Americans. Good morning. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. I'm in the WFUV studio with Fordham University President, Father, Joseph McShane. We're discussing DACA and why Catholic leaders consider supporting DREAMers part of their social justice mission. Thank you for joining me, Father McShane. Robin, it's great to be here. So many universities and college presidents are advocating for the passage of the DREAM Act, including many of Fordham's Jesuit colleagues. Um, I understand that the Association of Jesuit Colleges and Universities, known as the AJCU, has issued a statement in support of the DREAM Act. So why do you think so many colleges and universities have taken this unified stand against doing away with DACA? That's an excellent question. Uh, Christian churches throughout the world following a common lectionary read from uh, the book of Exodus, in which we're reminded that we are to care for the widow and the orphan and uh, the the person who is in exile precisely because God (coughs) took care of his people when they were widowed, orphaned, forgotten in the desert. And uh, this, this thread of concern, of covenantal concern, weaves its way not only through the Old Testament, also in the New Testament. So for us, we see this from a religious point of view as something that is imperative for us to to embrace as a uh, a cause and an issue at this time. Uh, from an educational point of view, we also believe that uh, in the DACA controversy, there is a call to conscience uh, for all Americans, and especially American educational institutions. Uh, the rescission of the uh, the DACA provisions, which were uh, devised by uh, President Obama, seems to us to be contrary to the American promise. And so we feel it is important for us to say that, to advocate for these students, uh, and to provide them with as much assistance as we possibly can, themselves and their families, during this very difficult and very, uh, I would say, unsettling moment in their lives. Um, so, Father McShane, what makes the AJCU position unique when compared to those of other higher education associations? I don't know if we're unique. I know that the Association of Catholic Colleges and Universities has an almost ex- uh, identical position, and many of our colleagues, uh, both in public and private education throughout the country, feel very much the same way that we do. I think the only difference might be uh, that Public institutions, uh, as opposed to members of AJCU or ACCU, the Association of Jesuit Colleges and Universities, Catholic Colleges and Universities, we would use more um, religious language in the way in which we would frame um, our advocacy for these students and therefore our call to the members of Congress to do the right thing, to step up and to uh, to make the lives of these students less um, anxiety-ridden because of the way in which... Uh, the government is acting at the present time. I think it's really a question of nuance and language more than anything else. I think there's almost unanimity across the board <clears throat> among uh, American colleges and universities on this matter. Uh, speaking of that, what's happening in the higher education community that contributes to the need for college presidents to speak out against rescinding DACA? Well, I, I think what you see going on around the country right now is um, a maturing of uh, the spirit of advocacy for those who are most uh, marginalized in American society. I think all colleges and universities have embraced this as a special part of their special mission, which is the mission of transforming lives and empowering young men and women uh, to live lives 
that are meaningful and dignified into the future. So um, I think that right now this is an issue that has emerged as as we grow in that direction. Um, and second, quite frankly, I think one of the major reasons uh, that all colleges and universities feel so so powerfully about this is we ha all of us have DACA students, uh, and we see them every day. We see the hopes that they bring. We see that uh, they are extraordinary young men and women who are here in this country, not by their own choice, but by the choice of their parents. And their parents were drawn to the United States because of the promise of America. And to see these students who did nothing themselves to bring themselves into, into the country, to see them being punished uh, or threatened with punishment, the punishment of being sent back to a country that they know nothing about because they were born uh, in a foreign country, brought as, a, as a young children into this country, we see this as unjust and unfair. So uh, they're ours, I, I guess, is one of the, what I'm trying to say. is We feel strongly because they're our students. We see them as really spectacular young women and men, and we just feel it's unfair. And is there a particular responsibility for a university president uh, to speak about this issue? Uh, and the the issue may not necessarily affect that particular institution. That's a great question. I, I think that um, most of my colleagues uh, uh, feel that you know there is a moral imperative, whether their schools have um, DACA students or not, to speak out on this precisely because we, we feel we have, uh, as institutions and as heads of institutions, we have... Uh, a vocation uh, that includes advocacy. But I, I don't know the number <clears throat> of, fa of uh, university or college presidents throughout the country who have not spoken out on this. The vast majority uh, that I know have all spoken out. Uh, the vast majority have signed on to common letters. Uh, I know here at Fordham we're encouraging, I'm encouraging, our faculty and our staff and our students uh, to really mobilize, to... Uh, write letters to Congress, to members of Congress, um, and to let it be known that they feel that this is an important moral issue in our time. So I, I think there's near unanimity on this uh, across the country, but I, I would say there are certainly probably people who don't feel that they have to speak. And I do want to get into what Fordham University is doing specifically in a minute, but <clears> first, <throat> uh, in reading some of the articles where you've been quoted about the Trump administration's move away from the DREAM Act, and in particular I'm talking about the September 8th issue mm -hmm. of American Magazine, there seems to be sort of like a righteous anger towards the administration's actions. So what is it about... Uh, this decision, Father McShane, that compelled you to make a statement? Uh, there are a number of things. Uh, first, you know, as I mentioned before, um, I feel this issue uh, acutely because I know uh, students here at Fordham who are DACA students. Uh, and I have tremendous respect for them, uh, tremendous uh, concern for them and their families. That's, that's the first. The second, to be honest, our history really compels me uh, to, to speak out on this. Uh, Fordham, as you know, was uh, founded by an immigrant, uh, Archbishop John Hughes, and from the very beginning, it was a school that had a special mission to and a special concern for immigrants, the sons of immigrants and daughters of immigrants and the granddaughters and grandsons of immigrants. This, is, this has been our history for 176 years. So this is an issue that really um, goes to the heart of who we are. It's part of our identity. We're an immigrant-serving institution. And these students, immigrant students, therefore are especially close to our hearts. So I speak out of our history and out of the, the knowledge um, and experience I have of the students. 
And also, quite frankly, I just think uh, from a covenantal point of view, we have to care for students and families who find themselves uh, in this very, uh, very difficult situation. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon, talking with Fordham University President Father Joseph McShane. We're discussing the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival and why DACA and supporting DREAMers has become part of the social justice mission for Catholic leaders. Now I'm going to ask you, how would you respond uh, to DACA critics who say supporting DREAMers is a drain on the American economy, for example? Well, I think they're wrong. Um, the dreamers, uh, the dreamers and their families right now are uh, people who do work that uh, many Americans uh, are not drawn to or are not doing themselves. So I don't think they're throwing people out of work. That's the first. Second, quite frankly, uh, it is my belief that uh, immigrants in general and the dreamers in a, in a very special sense are for us an enormous and, and important gift. What do I mean by that? I think uh, America's story is the story of immigrants. And the immigrants who came here, my grandparents included, were women and men of great courage, great determination, and uh, women and men who saw the American promise, promise of dignity, promise of opportunity, with great clarity. So I would argue to people who are opposed to um, DACA students are wanting to, to uh, send them back to whatever country it is that their families uh, come from and where they were born and then brought into this country. I would, I would say to them, in many ways, uh, the immigrants uh, whom we're talking about here are a gift to us because they, they remind us of the extraordinary power of the American promise. And the promise is of opportunity, and in that opportunity, dignity, and through that dignity, um, a whole new life. So I don't see them as threats I, uh, or economic threats or social threats or uh, security threats. I see them as uh, people of vision who have the ability to remind us in ways that we don't understand, perhaps day to day, uh, of how great the promise of America is and how how transforming it is for individuals' lives. So I see them as a gift and um, a great benefit. Do you think maybe there's a misconception um, as to some of the benefits of having the Dreamers here and helping out? And, for example, some of the, one of the arguments is, that, you know, they're not paying taxes. Uh, but that's not true. Many no. of them are working. Many mm -hmm. are going to school. Many are paying taxes. So do you think maybe there's a misconception about who they are and what they offer to society? Uh, I mean, absolutely. Hard to tell. You're, you're, no, I think you're right on the money. Uh, there is a lot of misinformation, a lot of um, half-digested uh, information out there about uh, the DACA students and their families. And and what you just said is very important to remember. These families are working. They are paying taxes. They are they're contributing enormously to the uh, the health of the uh, American uh, economy and to the I would say to the spirit of the republic. But I, I think, in a certain sense, if we had a national Q&A uh, website, this might be helpful. Clear up some misconceptions. Uh, and the clearing up of misconceptions uh, could lead to a, certainly a lessening of anger and uh, a correcting of uh, kind of the, uh, I would say, the negativity uh, that some people feel about them. And again, I want to go back to what you, you were saying at the beginning. Uh, and that is, I think a lot of... Uh, 
animosity toward DACA students and their families is uh, is born of a, uh, of a belief that they're here, and by being here, they're taking jobs away from um, people who were born in the United States. And I think uh, the data just doesn't support that belief. And would you say that uh, we talked earlier a, a little bit about Congress. Do you believe that uh, in this highly partisan political environment that Congress can come to an agreement that you would support? You know, <clears throat> when uh, President Trump first announced, you know, that uh, they had, you know, a deadline to meet, I thought if the vote had been taken in both houses within 10 days of that announcement, I think it would have been a very positive vote, you know, that uh, uh, the whole situation would be cleared up. The longer it lingers, the more uncertain I am. But you'll recall in the immediate aftermath of the president's announcement and action, it sounded like the majority was already behind, and both parties was already behind the Dreamers, and uh, they wanted to make sure that they were protected. Um, but now, with all the turmoil that we're seeing in Washington, this seems to have kind of drifted uh, down in the uh, uh, the national consciousness, and that's a shame because these are there are eight hundred thousand students who are affected. These are people who are very important, and I wish. I wish that Washington's dysfunction did not stand in the way of their lives being uh, given more sense of order and uh, and stability than they now have. Father McShane, many of Fordham University's peer institutions speak to having like a global identity. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, Georgetown refers to itself as a community of international scholars. Does Fordham have a perceived global identity? Well, we do. Uh, right now we have uh, in our undergraduate schools about 10 to, I'd say, 14% uh, of our student body is now international. On the graduate level, uh, there are some schools, for instance, the, uh, the graduate division of the Cabelli School of Business, which is more than 50% uh, international. So, uh, yes, we would see ourselves as international in the makeup of our student body. We are certainly international uh, in the way in which we uh, recruit faculty and staff members. Uh, all we have to do is look at um, all the catalogs with the listing of scholars who serve, extraordinary scholars who serve on our superb faculty. But then again, in addition to that, I have to say, uh, as a Jesuit university, we're part of an international network of schools, um, more than a 1,000 schools worldwide that are Jesuit. We, I think, rightly claim to be the first truly multinational educational um, enterprise that the world has ever known. So we, yes, we buy into that that vision very much so, and uh, with each passing year, we become more committed to recruiting more faculty from um, the international uh, academic world and more students from around the world. Is there a competition for faculty and staff caused by universities? Um, <clears throat> is that causing them to take a position on immigration reform or border control or DACA? I don't actually think uh, that. Uh, I think that uh, because we live in what is everyone now calls the global village, uh, an increasingly interconnected world, uh, a world without borders uh, and all that, I think every college and university in the country believes that in order for us to provide our students with the kind of education they need to be good citizens of the world in the 21st century, they have to have international exposure, and therefore they have to have exposure to uh, scholars and researchers from all over the world. Uh, so I think that's, you know, that's a first and foremost uh, thing. But it goes back to your fundamental question, why are we so concerned about DACA students? Because we believe it's, it's uh, we believe right now, frankly, it's immoral 
what's happening here. And I would go so far as to say it's uh, it's not at one uh, with the spirit of America uh, from the beginning. You know, we're we're a nation of immigrants. We this is what has made us who we are. And uh, I frequently say, with great seriousness, if the Johnson-Reed Act, which was the first act, really regulate uh, immigration to the United States, if it had been passed in 1880 rather than 1924, my brothers and I would be fighting over a few acres of depleted farmland in rural Ireland. Our people, our ancestors, had the opportunity to come here uh, to escape poverty, uh, to... uh, find dignity in the opportunity of the American promise. And I, I just feel that the way in which we're acting right now is xenophobic, and because we're acting in a xenophobic way, I think we're uh, we're kind of reneging on the American promise. And I want to go back to asking about that global identity. Um, how is Fordham University manifesting, maybe in a day-to-day functioning, of what its global identity is? Is it doing anything specifically day-to-day or in the mission of the university? Well, you know, in our uh, uh, undergraduate core curriculum, we we make sure that students are introduced to international um, topics and dig into them in a significant way, not in a superficial way. We really want them to dig into them. That's the first. Second, you know, in our recruitment of faculty and staff and students, we're very committed uh, to uh, expanding um, our vision and our outreach and our effectiveness in attracting Third, you know, we have operations um, outside the United States already, uh, and we encourage our students uh, to spend some time, part of their time, as Fordham students at either one of those three locations. We have a campus in London, for instance. We have a thriving operation in Beijing uh, in a number of areas and uh, in a number of different uh, spheres. And then we have a very important for us uh, relationship with uh, the University of Pretoria in South Africa. And we encourage faculty, staff, and students all to, you know, to look to those as placement opportunities uh, for at least part of their time at Fordham. In addition and beyond that, we encourage all of our students uh, to spend at least part of their time as students, this graced moment in their lives, which is a moment of transformation and broadening of, of vision, to spend time abroad. Um, so that they are uh, fully educated in the 21st century uh, environment in which they're going to spend their lives. Here at the radio station, we've had some work-study students who have gone on mission trips for the semester, and they always come back with not just great stories, but great stories of who they helped Mm -hmm. and who they reached out to and who they met and how it helped change their perspective, whether they came from a small town or, you know, right next door in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And so the the missions trips seem to be an added benefit of, of... coming here to Fordham University. Was that part of the plan? Well, I, I think it was part of the plan, and we're really delighted and, and frankly surprised sometimes in how uh, how transformed our students are when they come back from, uh, you know, a global uh, outreach tour, whether it's to India or uh, to Navajo or to Mohawk country in northern New York State or uh, down to New Orleans or in Mississippi. We're thrilled with the uh, the stories that they tell. But most important, I have to say, Robin, one of the things that is really uh, it's consoling, it's heartening, uh, it's confirming, our students come back, and while they'll tell you stories about, oh, I helped this person, I helped that person, I hear much more from our students, and they're saying this sincerely. I can't grade them so they don't have to worry about what I think <laughs> or say. They say that they learn much more than they taught. And uh, they learned it both in heart and in head. And uh, 
that is, I think, a sign of great maturity on their part. And uh, the more we have our students, you know, having those kinds of experience, uh, experiences that bring them back, both wiser and wiser because they're humble enough to, want to admit that they had to learn, that they did learn, and what they learned changed the way in which uh, both they, they both thought and felt about the world, I, I think the better off we all are. Something about expanding their horizons. Yep. Now, Fordham University School of Law, uh, going back to DACA, has a number of ways it reaches out to immigrant communities. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about a few of them? For example, the, the Immigration Rights Clinic, which provides legal representation to individuals facing deportation. The law school has about three or four initiatives that it is, um, what would you say, it's running right now or it has, in, has put up and uh, have, has put up. They're all very good and they grow naturally out of the law school's national leadership in the area of human rights. Uh, and uh, this has been something that the law school has been working on for decades. So this was for them a, a, a natural moment for them to stand up uh, and take a, a leadership role. Uh, in protecting immigrant rights, uh, they went so far as to, you know, go out to the airports uh, at the turn of the uh, the year uh, when immigrants seem to be most, um, uh, we'll say, under fire and uh, most vulnerable, and they offer their services. They're they're really uh, they're on the front lines on that. Also, Fordham University has promised to make efforts to protect dreamers. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any specifics you can offer? Well, we have uh, notified uh, all the faculty and asked them to keep an eye out for students who uh, are dreamers and uh, to make sure that they have access to <clears throat> all of the services that the university has uh, put in place for them. So through the counseling center, through campus ministry, uh, and, and through the uh, the school structures, we have uh, different different agencies uh, within the university, uh, different offices with the university is a better way to put it, uh, ready to uh, protect their interests, give them advice, direct them toward the proper uh, legal uh, organizations that can can help them. Uh, so we, the first thing that we've done is we've assured the DACA students, you know, I, when I write to this, the whole university, I assure these students that they are close to our hearts. They're very important. We want to go the uh, the extra mile to make sure that they are taken care of, they're protected, uh, and watched out for. And that's the first thing. The second, we provided everybody in the faculty and staff with the, the data and information that they need to direct these students to the proper officer to make sure that they're taken care of. Uh, and third, we've, we've shared information broadly across the university campuses that um, uh, e- even the federal government has said that it will abide by uh, the rules that are found in their um, in their bulletins and also in their manuals for operations about where they can or cannot, where they should or should not act. So the university or universities fall into you know the category of safe zones or, or sensitive areas. I should say that's the terminology: sensitive areas where agents of the federal government will not do sweeps, they won't do arrests, they won't do uh, anything of that sort. We want to make sure that everyone is aware of that. Um, And so we've gotten all of those things out. So uh, speaking a little bit more on these safe zones um, or these sensitive areas, Mm -hmm. I know New York is a sanctuary city, and I believe that there was one church in Hartford, Connecticut, that recently took in a a father of three who was going to be deported to Mm -hmm. Ecuador, and he was able to find uh, safety in this Hartford church. Uh, Is that 
a direction that Fordham might go at any point down the road? Or Well, I, I don't know about down the road, but right now we're not going there. Sanctuary is a term and a concept which has yeah, kind of a – It's got a cloudy, yeah. hum, uh, cloudy legal uh, standing or status. So we're, we're not going there right now. And a number of colleges and universities are feeling the same way. It's a little – it's not that we're – Without concern, we're very concerned. It doesn't have it. It, it doesn't have legal standing. So, uh, what we're doing, as I, I kind of indicated before, is we're looking at the legal documents, the federal documents, and working from them, pointing out this is what they can and can't do. This is what they should and should not do according to the handbook for uh, the Department of Homeland Security. So, ICE agents should not enter into and operate in what they refer to as sensitive sites. Uh, and they would include hospitals, churches, schools. Um, so we're giving that information out. Sanctuary, uh, as I say, has no legal standing. It has tremendous, um, I would say, it rings well in people's hearts and minds. But I think sometimes we have to be careful about uh, over overestimating what it actually can do for somebody. I, so it's still up in the air, sort it's of. It's still up in the mm -hmm. air, sort of. It, it, you know, its roots go back to the Middle Ages, where uh, you know the church would provide sanctuary for those who are uh, fleeing from uh, uh, either nobles or persecution. Or uh, there's one place uh, that I know of uh, in the English-speaking world, and that's a little sliver of land, a little triangle of land outside Westminster Abbey, which is called the Sanctuary, and uh, that its name goes back to you know its role in. Uh, in earlier times, if if someone was being pursued by the law and got to the sanctuary, they had sanctuary and would be taken. Is it actually a sliver of, of of land with a building on it, or is it just no? Like it's, a, a it's an open it's an open triangle, a triangular uh, piece of land right in front of Westminster Abbey. So you know you have the the memory of this, and of course, anyone uh, you know who's ever read or seen the Hunchback of Notre Dame mm -hmm. knows that. Uh, you know, this is a big, a big emotional and dramatic moment where, you know, Quasimodo declares that uh, because of sanctuary, no one can touch uh, him and uh, and the young woman that he's holding. So it, it's there, but right now it's it's standing as a concept in American law is a little uncertain and a little unclear. So I, frankly, I much prefer right now to make sure that people know uh, what, the federal government says it can and can't do what it should and shouldn't do, uh, and also provide them with, with advice. For instance, the Archbishop of, of Chicago has said if an ICE agent comes to one of uh, the Catholic schools in, in Chicago and wants to pick somebody up, he says what you can do, according to the law, is you can demand a warrant. Mm -hmm. You know, you won't do anything until the warrant is produced. I think right now the best thing we have working for us is is the legal system and the, judi and the uh, judiciary. And, and that's why what the law school is doing is so important. It's wise, it's informed, it's effective, and uh, it can be very swift. And, and so, on. so that's what we're doing. We're dealing with difficult information, uh, difficult situation by providing uh, people with accurate and detailed information. And that I think is our ours and their best way of dealing with the challenges of the moment. And circling back to your trip to London, I was picturing that childhood game of tag, you where if you it. get to that little spot, then, you know, you're not it. Right. <laughs> you're right. safe. And now during your trip to London, um, were Brits there as concerned about DACA as we are here? No. Not at all? They're much more concerned about Brexit than they are about DACA, yeah. quite frankly, mm -hmm. uh, what it means for them. This is one of the things that's unique about the United States. We have such a long history of, of immigration and uh, other places more recent uh, our more recent 
the players in immigration, they don't understand our experience, and they they kind of they look at us with great wonder. Uh, so they, you know, when they did talk to me about it, it was more, you know, um, we didn't think this could happen in the United States because you have such a long history of being the uh, uh, the welcoming country in the in the world for immigrants from all over the world. We don't find this uh, we don't, we find it difficult to understand what's going on now. And I say, well, you find it difficult. I find it impossible to understand why we're going down this road. Speaking of this political surprise, is there anything that can be learned? You think from the most recent era of political and cultural division? Look, Raman. I think this is a call to kind of a national examination of conscience and consciousness to see uh, if we still really believe in the American uh, promise and the American um, aspiration, creating one out of many being being the place where, um, you know, spoken of in the poem that Emma Lazarus wrote and that's uh, on the base of the, the Statue of Liberty. We have... I think this is for us a moment for reflection mm-hmm. and recommitment. For me, it's reflection and recommitment mm-hmm. rather than reflection and, all right, we're going to walk away from this. No, no. I think, um, as I said before, it's for Fordham, it's our history. For me, it's personal. Uh, for the church, it's the gospel. For all people of conscience, I think it is. It's a moral issue. Uh, are, we going to, are we going to care for the widow, the orphan, the disadvantaged, the forgotten, the outsider, the marginalized, or are we going to turn our back on them? Are we? And if we do turn our back on them, uh, are we going to admit to ourselves that we've failed a, a kind of a cosmic exam of what it is to be a human being? Father Joseph McShane, thank you for coming on Fordham Conversations. Robin, it's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. I'd like to thank my guest, Fordham University President Father Joseph McShane. I'd also like to thank my producers, Patrick Russomano and Marina Koff. You can like Fordham Conversations on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter and catch up on shows you've missed with our weekly podcast. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.